Well, greetings to all of you. It's a privilege to be here with you in Charlotte. I was up in uh, Wyoming last weekend for the funeral of Mr. Ben Whitfield, one of our longtime ministers. He died at the age, I believe, 74. I first met Ben about 55 years ago. He just graduated from high school in Jackson, Mississippi, and I was just starting my second year in in graduate school in Mississippi. And we both started attending the Church of God there. And we have known each other and worked together for I don't know, 25 years or more. Uh, it was a privilege to be there. And I want to say maybe a little bit more, a little bit later in the sermon. But getting out of Charlotte and traveling uh, different places around the world as well as around the country uh, really adds to your perspective. You know, here in the eastern part of the United States, you go 100 miles south of Charlotte, 100 miles north of Charlotte. All you see is trees and green and fields and whatever. Uh, I flew into Denver, drove up to Cheyenne's about 100 miles. And then it was 140 miles. No, actually, it was about, uh, about 40 miles over to Laramie and then 140 miles over to Rollins. And you don't see any trees. <laughs> you don't see anything green. <laughs> Everything's kind of brown. Uh, Laramie's a little bit different. There's some trees around there. It sits in kind of a valley between some mountains whenever uh, our son Scott was up there and his family. Driving into Laramie, you'd see pronghorn antelope running with the cattle. I think we counted 60, 70, 80 pronghorns running with the cattle. But once you get west of Laramie, you don't see any pronghorn, maybe a few, two or three or four. Uh, but it's pretty barren. So geographically, it's quite different. But the people are pretty much the same. They have the same concerns that you have, uh, the same concerns that a lot of people have all around the world. What I'd like to do in the sermon this afternoon is begin by asking several questions very simple questions. Why are you here listening to this sermon? Why are you here? That's not the title of the sermon. But I want to ask the question. Why are you here listening to this sermon? If you're an adult, you've been around the church for some time, you should have a list of reasons why you're here. You should have a list of reasons why you're here. If you don't, I would ask you, why are you here? If you're a younger person, your answer might be, well, my parents are here. That's why I'm here. But I would encourage you as young people, make your own list why you're here. Make your own list why you're here. If you're a new person, I would encourage you to do the same. Make a list of why you're here. I want to talk about some of the reasons why you're here, but I also want to focus on the big picture and give some reasons why I want to focus on the big picture. You know, for those of you that are older, you, you should have an understanding of a big picture. You should have an understanding why Dr. Meredith talked about the big picture. I think I mentioned before I remember reading an email that came in 
And the comment was, why does Dr. Meredith keep talking about this big picture? I'm so tired of that big picture. Why didn't he talk about something new? You know, there's a reason why he talked about the big picture. There are reasons why Mr. Weston talks about the big picture. There are reasons why Mr. Ames has talked about the big picture. And there are reasons why I've talked about the big picture. And the very simple reason is when you lose track of the big picture and you start focusing on one particular issue or maybe two particular issues, you will lose sight of the big picture. Again, I've heard these comments that the Living Church of God is run by a bunch of old men. You know, Mr. Ames is over 80. I'm pushing 80. (laughs) Mr. Weston is not too much below 80. But the comment is these old men need to step out of the way and let us younger guys kind of take over. Because that's the future of the church. But you know... When I turned 50, I realized a lot of my perspective changed. That was 28 years ago. (laughs) 28 years ago. But you know, whenever you have lived almost three quarters of a century, you develop a perspective that you didn't have when you were 12, 13, 14, 15. You didn't have that perspective when you were 25 or 30. And I didn't have that perspective either whenever I was 40. When you're able to watch things happen over a period of time, you know, most of us, a number of us have been in the church over 50 years. You see a lot of people come and you see a lot of people go. And generally the people that go lost the big picture because they were focused on an issue or a couple of issues. I remember talking to some young people one time and they were saying, you know, I'm so tired of single-issue Christians. People that get this one thing, it could be health, it could be diet, it could be this or that or the other thing. But when you focus on one thing or two things and you miss the big picture, you may not be here. Next week, next month, next year. These are some of the things that you learn when you get old. (laughs) When you develop a perspective that spans a number of decades. So I want to talk about some of these reasons of why we focus on the big picture. You know, there's some sayings just to share with you. If you don't learn the lessons of history, you wind up repeating the mistakes of history. When you don't learn the lessons of history, you wind up repeating the mistakes of history. You know, Dr. Meredith was very much into the history of the church because he made <laughs> a number of decades of history in the church of God. And he saw rebellions come along. He saw ideas come along that took people over in this direction, over in that direction. There's another saying that experience is the best teacher. Now, when you've lived three quarters of a century, you you gain a lot of experience, whether you want to or not, because you see things happening. 
But the other half of that saying, experience is the best teacher, but it's a fool's school. It's a fool's school. If you have to learn the hard way, there are other ways to learn. There are other ways to learn. I was pastoring in one area, and this younger couple gave me a book. It was entitled The School of Hard Knocks. The School of Hard Knocks. That you, you have to learn the hard way, but that's a hard way to learn. It's a hard way to learn. My mom and dad's people, uh, they came from eastern Pennsylvania. They call it Pennsylvania Dutch country. The Dutch don't live there, but the Deutsch do. The Pennsylvania Germans came over from Germany. Uh, <clears throat> Mrs. Dorothy McNair knows all about this. But there's a saying amongst, amongst the Pennsylvania Dutch. I get so soon old... And so late, smart. I get so soon old and so late, smart. It takes so long to learn these lessons. And that was one of the reasons that Dr. Meredith focused on the big picture. He'd seen a lot of people learn some hard lessons. He probably learned some of his own. And he tried to convey to us that don't learn the hard way. There are easier ways to learn. Getting a multitude of counsel and not getting focused on one issue. I want to talk today in the sermon about prophecy. And I've entitled the sermon, Prophecies Coming Alive. Prophecies Coming Alive. Because some of these prophecies are not just about what's happening uh, in Europe, not just about what's happening in the Middle East. It's about what's happening in the world today in America. And for those of you listening that are outside the country, you can learn a lot of lessons by watching what's happening here in the United States. Because these things are going to filter down, and the world is going to learn some very sobering lessons by what happens in America, by what we're letting happen today, and what is causing some of our problems today. So I've entitled it Prophecies Coming Alive. You could subtitle it. Satan's devices and God's plan, or Satan's deceptions and God's plan. So Satan does have a plan. God has a plan. And he's going to try and set, uh, uh, destroy or uh, undermine the plan of God. God has a church, and Satan's going to try to disrupt it and destroy it. Because he's an adversary. Here, Lucifer, his first name, was a light bringer. He brought light. He could have brought light. But he was called Satan later because he was an adversary. We'll talk about that a little bit more. You know, we're living, as we heard in the sermonette, in a very interesting, puzzling, challenging period of time. You know, many see the news today. And they see the violence and the turmoil in America and different places around the world. In America, they see a country that's that's deeply divided, deeply divided between conservatives and liberals, between Republicans and Democrats, between believers and non-believers. They see this division. They see this division, a country deeply divided. They see a country where we once claimed to be a Christian nation. 
when a former president says we're no longer a nation of Christians, we're a nation of Muslims and Jews and Buddhists and whatever. Democratic governments around the world are in trouble. They're coming apart. And there's always people standing in the wings to be the strong man. Well, I'll I'll solve the problems for you. Just elect me or just uh, let me take over and I'll solve the problems. We're watching Germany rise. These are things Mr. Armstrong talked about years ago. But we're watching these prophecies coming alive today. Now, when many of us first heard these prophecies back in the 60s and 70s, and some of you heard those earlier, it sounded like, boy, that's way down the road. Uh, We'll watch and see if it happens. But we're living in a period of time today when we're watching these happening almost every day. He was talking about Germany who was going to come back and lead Europe. That was when Berlin and Germany had been bombed into smithereens. There was hardly anything there. And one of the trips to Berlin, I bought some postcards down near the, uh, the, the Capitol buildings there, and they had postcard pictures that were black and white of what that area looked like after the bombings. And they were, people were trying to raise some potatoes in what was left on the ground, the rubble. But now Germany is back leading Europe. You've got <clears throat> Ursula van der Leyen, I believe it is, who's heading up the Council of Europe. And you've got um, <clears throat> uh, Mrs. Merkel, who's going to be the president of Europe, starting, I think, this month, for six months. So you've got two German ladies and then some other people in the background. They're all Germans. They're going to be leading Europe for the next six months to a year. And they're talking about developing a strategy, getting people together. Mr. Armstrong was talking about the rise of a king of the south, an uh, Islamic-Arab combination. And you've got most recently, I think it was in a news report a week or two ago, that the guy in Turkey is his... uh, They have basically made the Hagia Sophia, this big church that was built by Justinian, to repurpose it as a mosque. Uh, It was a mosque after the Muslims came in. And he made some comment about we need to unite the Arab world against Israel so we can liberate the Alaska Mosque on the Temple Mount. Take it away from the Jews. Now, who the king of the south is going to be, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. It's interesting, the book that uh, I think it was Samuel Huntington wrote on the clash of civilizations. He talks about core nations, and he talks about swing nations. China is a core nation. France is a core nation. Germany is a core nation. They speak a language. They have a culture. He said in the Arab world, there is no core. There is no core in the Arab world. You had Nasser try to unite everybody. You had Gaddafi try to unite everybody. You had Saddam Hussein wanted to unite anybody. Now here's the guy in Turkey who wants to do something. So we have to see where this leader comes from. But we're seeing these things happening today. Mr. Armstrong was talking about 50, 60, 70 years ago. Nobody else was talking about those things. 
Nobody, really. But we're seeing these things happening today. Your prophecy has been a very big part of the ministry of the, the what was the Worldwide Church of God, now the Living Church of God. Basically, uh, it was a big part of Mr. Armstrong's ministry. I remember talking with the minister that baptized me back in Mississippi. He said, what brought you or what drew, what, what drew you to the church of God? I said, prophecy, probably. Prophecy. Because it made sense out of what was happening in the world. Uh, <clears throat> Nobody else was talking about those things. I was raised in a Protestant church, and they talked about Jesus and God loves you. But they didn't speak about prophecy. They weren't explaining what was happening in the world or giving a reason why these things were happening. But many people see these things happening today that we've been talking about for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Now, for some people, what's happening in the world today is just news. It's just news. I watch this. I watch that. It's no big deal. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. There are people that profess to be Christians. They read Matthew 24. They realize that things are going to happen before Christ returns. But then the question becomes, what's going to happen when Christ returns? Well, he's going to, some believe, uh, uh, take us up to heaven in a rapture. You know, when Mr. McNair is not uh, in his office sometimes, I'll ask our secretary, was Mr. McNair raptured today? He's not here. Uh, so far, I've not gotten any answer for that, but he is here. So he's not been raptured in any place. But that's what some people believe. They recognize Matthew 24 is talking about a return of Christ. Other people believe they're going to go to heaven and sit around and read files for a thousand years, find out how bad evil was, and then they'll come back, but only them, to live in a paradise on this earth. And yet there's some also that believe, as we do, that Christ is going to come back, set up a kingdom on this earth. If you're Muslim, you're looking for the Mahdi to return. And if you can create a lot of chaos in the world, you can help the Mahdi come sooner. <laughs> and Jesus will help him set up an Islamic kingdom on this earth. Uh, <clears throat> Liberals and progressives believe that the chaos that we see happening today is a good thing. It's a good thing. Because that means there's going to be change coming. And they hope to change the world without Jesus Christ's help to bring in a beautiful utopian world of social justice. This is what they're hoping for. That's why chaos today is not a big thing, that eventually it's going to work out really good. And there are other people that are more agnostic that uh, will tell you, enjoy what you have now because when you die, it's all over. So they're not overly worried about what's happening in the world today. But, you know, people that read the news today, they have no context for the most part. Why are these things happening? What do these things mean? Where are things going to go? See, if you don't have Bible prophecy as a guide, you have no idea what's going to happen. God has given us an understanding of Bible prophecy because we've been involved with the church of God that has a more sure word of prophecy, that has a better picture, 
better understanding of where things are going to go. So this is the big picture I want to talk about. You know, what many people don't realize today is that God has given us a plan. That plan is outlined in the scriptures. That God is allowing certain things to happen today. Allowing people to have freedom of choice to do whatever they want. He gets to see what their character is. Because that comes out whenever we have freedom of choice. But the Bible explains what God's plan is. It also reveals that Satan is real. He influences the world. We're told in Revelation 12:9 that Satan has deceived the whole world. We read in, uh, I think it's Second uh, Corinthians 2:11, that Satan has uh, <clears throat> devices. He has methods that he uses. And those methods haven't changed over time. He uses the same method over and over and over, just adjusts a little bit. And when you get to be almost 80 years of age, you begin to see, you look back over just the experience that, that I've had, Mr. Weston's had, Mr. Ames has had. You see things happening again and again and again, about every 10 years or so. And you think, Here we go again. Here we go again. Because unless we remember, that's one of the whole messages of Deuteronomy. Remember. Remember. Remember where you've been. Remember where you've come from. Remember, God says, what I've done for you. Don't forget those things. You get into Jeremiah. He says, you've forgotten me. You've forgotten what I've done for you. And in the church of God, we need to remember what has happened from time to time to time and not get sucked into these things again. Sometimes it's younger people that get sucked into these things and sometimes it's older people. (laughs) You think you should know better. You were there. You watched these things. You lived through it. Are you going to go back and do it again? But the Bible unveils a purpose, a plan and a purpose that God has. People are being told today religion is irrelevant. Just because you don't go to church, just because you do various things on the Sabbath and you're still alive, everything's okay, uh, don't assume that everything is okay. Don't assume those things. The Bible tells us that God has a plan, he has a purpose. Religion is extremely relevant. I'm talking about biblical religion. Biblical religion is extremely relevant today because it explains why things are happening today in the world and it explains why things will happen in the church. Because Satan is not dead. I think I mentioned a book that I came across not too long ago entitled The The Death of Satan. Now, some people think he's going to die. But uh, it's, not, it's not what the book is talking about. It's talking about the fact that most people don't believe that there is a Satan, the devil. So for all practical purposes, he's dead. But he's not dead. Just as Satan is trying to get people to believe there is no God, he also wants people to believe that there really is no Satan either. Because then he can pull your strings. He can pull your chain. 
and you don't realize where it's coming from. But the Bible and Bible prophecy is extremely relevant today. Most people don't talk about it. Many people, religious people, don't talk about it. And when they do talk about Bible prophecy, they get a lot of things wrong because they don't understand certain things. That God opened Mr. Armstrong's mind to begin to understand. So why are you here as adults? Many of you are here because you heard Mr. Armstrong or your parents did. And he was talking about things that made sense. Why on earth did America rise to the position of power that it did? And the British uh, and the people basically of uh, European descent, Northwestern Europe, wasn't because they were lucky. They rose because God made certain promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You read those in Genesis 12, Genesis 48, and Genesis 49. That's why we received those blessings. But when you read the prophecies in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they were very clear. They said, you turn away from God, you are going to suffer specific consequences. And we're watching those things happening today. For the most part, most Protestants and Catholics have no idea why these things are happening. Well, it's just bad people. No, no. These things are coming on us because we've turned away from God. We've forgotten the God of the Scriptures. When you look at some of those specific prophecies, Mr. Armstrong was talking about the demise of American, Britain, and Western civilization, the rise of Germany, the rise of China, In Deuteronomy, not Deuteronomy, but Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 to 44, talks about that the time of the end is going to be a king of the south pushing against the king of the north. That king of the north is basically Europe today, probably central Europe, Germany. King of the south is going to be something coming out of the Middle East, a Muslim uh, Arab uh, combine of some sorts. And then the king of the North is going to move into the Middle East and be bothered by, worried by news coming from the north and the east, or the east and the north. Location of Russia, location of China. Um, Revelation 16 talks about the kings of the east will come into that area. See, the Bible gives us a big overall plan that the world doesn't understand today for the most part. Mr. Armstrong was talking about the loss of Seagates, strategic points around the world that has happened. When he started talking about those things, when we were listening in the 60s, hadn't happened yet. But they have happened. And there's only a few left. Nobody else was talking about those things. See, these are reasons why we should be here that God has given his church a better understanding of Bible prophecy. Turn to uh, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, actually, chapter 1. Now, Peter is writing to the church. 2 Peter, chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, he says, Peter says, we did not uh, follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses. We were there when Jesus Christ said some things. 
We were there. We heard him. We heard Mr. Armstrong say certain things, and we've watched those things come to pass. He wasn't some superhuman being. He had God's spirit. He was given an understanding of Scripture. Verse 19, it says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. It's interesting you look up different translations to that. The old King James, we have a more sure word of prophecy. New King James, we have the prophetic word confirmed. You know, the Bible says certain things. We've watched those things come to pass, confirming those prophecies. We may be a little self-conscious to think, well, well, we don't have a more sure word of prophecy, but I've been watching this for 50 years. <laughs> and we do. We do. We didn't have it all perfect, but nobody else was talking about these things. But God has given his church an understanding of prophecy because part of our mission is to cry aloud and spare not and show my people their sins. Isaiah 58.1. You can't cry aloud and show people their sins if you, if you don't understand what sins are. See, we've done away with the definition of sin. Well, that, that's just kind of uh, uh, not being nice to each other. No, sin is the transgressions of the laws of God. 1 John 3, 4. You break the Sabbath. You don't keep the holy days. You lie, cheat, and steal. You commit adultery. You don't keep the commandments of God. This is what sin is. You know, when I was coming into the church, some of us old people, sin was drinking and dancing and and, and doing stuff like that. Maybe on Sunday, uh, uh, watching a movie or a football game for Protestant Christians. But sin is the transgression of the laws of God. And yet we had some young people, young men, took over the church of God. And we don't want to talk about sin. That that's upsets people. That upsets people. So we don't want to talk about that. So they began changing the doctrines of the church. Well, Sunday's okay because everybody else does that. You don't have to keep the holy days because that's Old Testament stuff. You don't have to keep these laws, especially tithing. You don't want to do that because uh, this is legalism. Now, these are some of the lies. These are some of the twisted things that are promoted as more modern Christianity. And the people that bought into that, like about 100,000 people, or off doing other things. Not interested in prophecy anymore for the most part. Because they bought into a different gospel. You know, I got fired in Texas for giving a sermon. Basically said, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you're going to keep the Sabbath, you're going to keep the holy days, you're going to follow the health laws. This is what you're going to be doing. I was fired, not because I was a liberal academic, which some people think that I am. Why would a liberal academic join up with Dr. Meredith? (laughs) This ultra-conservative in some people's mind. No, I got fired because I wouldn't preach the new truth, the new understanding of the gospel, a different gospel. And most of you are here because you didn't go along with that either. You held on to the trunk of the tree when the branches started to blow and weave and break off. And we're going to see people today climbing out on branches. 
When those branches break off, you don't want to say, I told you so. But but if we don't learn from history, we're going to get out on branches and do various things. Some of the other mission aspects of the church. Mr. Armstrong understood the church has a mission to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel of a coming kingdom of God. You know, what did Jesus preach? Mark, uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. I grew up in some Protestant churches, never heard that. I heard that the kingdom of God was this warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart. I never heard it was about a coming kingdom on this earth. And yet that's what he was preaching. It mentions in Matthew 24, verse 14, this gospel will be preached in all the world as a witness, not to convert everybody, but as a witness. So people will say, well, yeah, I did hear that. I did hear that. And then it says, then the end will come. It's going to be preached as a witness. You know, when I was up in Wyoming last Friday, we did a a funeral for Mr. Ben Whitfield. And I talked to his wife the night before. I said, who are we going to have here? She said, well, we'll probably have some Church of God people from a number of different places. And it was kind of like an old home weekend. A couple of individuals that I taught with in Pasadena, Big Sandy, they were there. Oh, how are you? I saw this one guy looking at me, and I recognized one of them. I didn't recognize the other one. He lost a lot of hair. (laughs) And I went up to him and said, I think I should know you. He said, yeah, you should. We were teaching together how many years ago. I hate to make these estimates because I always miss (laughs) But it was probably 60, early 70s, early 70s. And he told me who he was. Oh, yeah, now I can put the face and everything together. But uh, Mary Pat also said, uh, we'll have a bunch of church, we'll have a number of Church of God people. Uh, there'll be family. And there's going to be a number of people from, from the community here. Because the Whitfields moved up to Rollins, Wyoming. It's a bump on Highway 80 that goes across up there. Not a whole lot there. Uh, a couple of gas stations and some hotels. And uh, I think uh, the state penitentiary is there. It's no longer functioning, but it's still there. It's one of the biggest buildings in town. But she said, going to be a, lot of t- a number of townspeople here. I said, how many do you think? She said, maybe 30%, 40%. We had over 100 people at the funeral. So I got a little bit of background. You know, ben had been a little league umpire little league coach who was involved with a number of things. So people knew who he was, people that, because they'd been there for 40 years. So these people came, and I mentioned to them a little bit of uh, our background that Ben and I had known each other for quite some time. And I mentioned then that uh, the man that you have known up here for 40 years was a product of his belief system. He was a product of his belief system. You saw him as an insurance man and as a little league umpire. I don't think people argued with a little league umpire that was six foot seven, 230 pounds. We called it a strike. It was a strike. And you didn't, you didn't give him any lip. 
<laughs> you said, yes, sir. <laughs> but he was a gentle giant. He was a gentle giant. He was a peacemaker. He was kind. He had kind of an infectious grin. Uh, he was a very fine person. I said, what you may not have realized is that every weekend he was a uh, circuit-riding preacher <laughs> for the Church of God, and he drove hundreds of miles up here every weekend, every weekend to serve the small congregations up here. But I said he was a product of his beliefs. I said, you'll notice uh, his family is sad, but they're not weeping uncontrollably. I said, when Ben died, he had a hope. He had a hope. And his family has that same hope. So I went through and we talked about uh, the scriptures in Job uh, 14, verses 14 and 15, where Job says, all the days of my time in the grave, I will wait until I hear the shout and my change comes. We talked about a resurrection. That was the hope. But I also said, and I wanted to preach the gospel a little bit. I said, why was he looking forward to a resurrection? What's he going to do when he comes out of the grave? And I talked about Christ returning and the saints are going to reign with him on this earth. And they're literally going to change the world at that time to bring peace to a world that's in chaos right now. I said, this was his hope. This is what he's looking forward to do when he comes out of the grave. And I was watching people. There's some people there looking at the floor. Uh, but I noticed another couple sitting about halfway back, and they were listening carefully. And I was talking to somebody else as we were breaking up, and this couple came up and waited until I was done talking, and they said, uh, we're not members of your church, but we're friends of Mary Pat and Ben and Mary Pat for quite some time. They said, thank you for coming and thank you for your remarks. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. There's about probably 20, 30, 40 people there that were not part of the church, but they knew Ben. They saw his example and Mary Pat's. You know, part of our job as a church is not just to preach people into heaven and not to preach people into hell at funerals, but literally to share some exciting news with them. It's not all over when you die. We come out of that grave. It's going to be a very exciting opportunity for a lot of people at that time. So part of our mission is to preach the gospel as a witness to the world. Part of our mission also is to warn the world. You can't warn people if you don't know what's coming. And you can't warn the Israelite peoples if you don't know who they are and where they are. This, this is a key to understanding Bible prophecy that Mr. Em- Mr. Armstrong emphasized over and over and over. We're still doing that today. But this is one of the first doctrines that the young men that took over the church of God dumped. Got to get rid of it. Because it's only weird people that believe in stuff like that. Good afternoon, you weird people. <laughs> now, that was one of the things that caught my attention 55 years ago. That it made sense out of what's happening in the world. 
then and what's happening now. And part of our job is to warn. Part of our job is to warn. Luke 117. Let's turn to that quickly. Again, part of our mission. And part of our mission is just not to get people excited about going to heaven. Christ is coming back to set up a government and a kingdom on this earth. Luke 117. <clears throat> Actually, start about verse 14. I think. It's talking about prophecies about John the Baptist. Um, Verse 15. He will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall uh, also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn the hearts of many of the children of Israel to the Lord. He will also go before him, that is before uh, the Lord, <clears throat> oh, John will go before him, Christ, in the spirit and power of Elijah. You know, Elijah kind of came out of, <laughs> out of nowhere and had this very powerful message to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the uh, disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Part of our job is to prepare a group of people to reign with Jesus Christ when he returns. To be able to explain the doctrines of the Bible. To explain the plan of God. To explain why we keep the holy days. This is part of our job to be able to do that. Now, if you bought into this new gospel that has been preached by some people that had links with the church of God. Oh, we don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore. That's legalism. Oh, we don't have to keep the holy days anymore. That's legalism. How are you going to be prepared to reign with Jesus Christ? If you didn't do it, if you didn't believe it was necessary, you climbed out on a limb, it's going to break off. If you bought into the idea that we don't need to have government in church, that's just somebody's opinion. There's going to be a government of God set up on this earth. And if you don't know how it operates, one of the... the, uh, the comments, I think, in the news report, if you've if not learned to work within that government, you're not going to be ready to reign with Jesus Christ on this earth. One of the reasons for learning how to lead in a Christ-like manner, and not the way some of it was done in the, year, in the church years ago, I told you, now you, if you don't do it, <clears throat> you get blown away. No, we need to be understanding, but at the same time, we need to be able to tell people this is the way. This is the way to walk. You walk in it. And it'll work. You don't have to learn through the school of hard knocks. But if that's your decision, then maybe that's the only hope for you. So preaching the gospel of the world is a witness. I remember reading about some of these um, groups that have splintered off of the church of God. Uh, well, Dr. Meredith is preaching the gospel. We're, we're, we're feeding the flock. So we'll, we'll let him preach the gospel and, and, and warn people, but we're just feeding the flock. Well, you can't break it up that way. You can't break it up that way. Preaching the gospel, warning the world, preparing a people. And another aspect of the church of God that we've not jettisoned is that the world is a worldwide work, not just a little house church. Not just a little house church. 
You know, Matthew 24, just jot the scriptures down. Matthew 24, 14, this gospel will be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. That's what we should be doing. We've got to be doing. Preaching this gospel to the world. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Talks about making disciples of people all around the world. You teach them what you've been taught. You teach them the truth of God. Mark 16, verse 15. Mark 16, verse 15. Go therefore into all the world. Let's go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. This is what runs through the New Testament. This is what the apostles set out to do. That's why we're striving to do these things today. Acts chapter 1. Start with verse 6. Then the disciples said unto, they came together and asked him, Christ, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? No, we want our crowns now. We're ready to go. He said unto them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Now, we can know an approximate period of time because we're told to watch. And when you see these things happening, then the time is near. He says here in uh, verse 7, he said unto them, it's not for you to know the times of the season. The Father has put that in his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses for me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, that area in the Palestine area, and to the end of the earth, to the ultimate parts of the earth. You can't do that sitting in your house. You can't do this with a little radio station that goes in your county. You can't do it that way. We've got a magazine that's what, about 350,000 circulation now? We were up to 500,000 at one time. We've got radio and television that goes literally around the world. I think Mr. Weston was above the Arctic Circle or close to it. Mario Hernandez has been to Terra del Fuego at the very tip of South America. We're all over it. It's, It's our mission. It's a big mission. It takes a big vision. It takes all of us to do that. Not just this little group that gets together and we'll sing a few songs and we'll do our little thing. We're here because we want to be part of a mission, a big thing. Mr. Armstrong had a big vision. You know, we read in Matthew 24, verses 37 to 39, where Jesus said, the days of his coming, the days before his coming, is going to be last in the days of Noah. Things are going to be, when Christ is coming back, as in the days of Noah. It's interesting. Let's go back to Genesis 6 just very quickly. You're familiar with what's there. We've talked about this before. But in Genesis chapter 6, God was preparing to literally clean the face of the earth with a flood. It talks about... uh, In Genesis 6, the earth was corrupt. Everybody was corrupt. It was violent. Uh, Every thought was perverted and wrong. But what I want to point out here is in verse 32 of chapter 5, just before Genesis 6, it says, Noah was 500 years old 
and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Then you have the description of the flood. And Moses was, Moses, yeah, Moses, Noah. Noah was told to build an ark. And the implication is it took him a while to build that ark. You go up to uh, northern Kentucky to south of Cincinnati, and there is a model ark up there, a scale model. That thing is longer than a football field and three or four stories high. And you see this monster of a thing. And it was probably built by more people than just Noah and his three sons. <laughs> it would take more than that just to lift some of the beams in that thing. So this was an undertaking that probably went on for, who knows, 50, 60, 70 years. It had to be planned, had to be built. And then uh, the animals had to come. But you had to plan for the animals to have food. You had to, if you've been around a farm, you got cows in the barn, you got to get rid of things that the cows leave behind. <laughs> and if you don't, there are real problems. <laughs> so you had to get rid of that. You had to have water. You had to have food. So this was a big undertaking. But notice it says he was 500 years old, and then the flood. You get down here to chapter 6 in verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, 17th day of the month, the fountains of the deep were opened up. So the flood came about 100 years after the other benchmark that we have there when he was 500 years of age. So his ministry lasted, in all probability, about 100 years. When did Mr. Armstrong start preaching? About 1933. How much time do you have between 1933 and 2020? About 90 years. <laughs> Again, I'm not setting dates. All I'm saying is there are parallels in the Bible. Um, <clears throat> Jesus said the times before he comes back are going to be just like the days of Noah. We appear to be moving into that period of time today. So don't somebody come out of here and say, we've got 10 years left. <laughs> I didn't say that. I don't believe that. But the Bible gives us some parallels to watch. Gives us some parallels to watch. Hopefully, we can use this as a wake-up call. Where are you going to be 10 years from now? Where are you going to be five years from now? Where are you going to be two years from now? Will you be here a year from now? Or you will, be, will you be off someplace else? See, if we lose sight of this big picture, there are going to be consequences. If we get caught up in one particular issue or another particular issue, we may not be around. We could look at some other prophecies. Mr. Armstrong went through the book of Leviticus, went through the book of Deuteronomy, read through the prophets, and he realized there was duality there. These books were written to the children of Israel. For those, some of us physically, we are the physical descendants of those Israelites. But we also read in Galatians chapter, what is it, 6 and about verse 16, I think it is. Let's go back there. And this is something that our critics don't seem to understand. Mr. Armstrong's critics didn't understand. 
Galatians 6 and verse 16, it says, As many as walk according to this rule, according to the laws of God, peace and mercy be upon you and upon the Israel of God. The church is made up of spiritual Israelites today. This idea that uh, the Israelites being a chosen people is a racist idea is not correct. There were promises of race and there were promises of grace. The promises of race would be that the children, the physical children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would inherit the blessings that God made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That's why we have the blessings we have in this country. But these promises of grace involve the spiritual Israelites as well as people that are called from, from other, part, other walks of life. The world doesn't understand that. It doesn't matter where you're coming from, what your color is, what your, what your nationality is. If you've been called, your mind has been opened, you have the opportunity of becoming part of God's family and reigning with Jesus Christ when he comes back. That was Ben Whitfield's hope. That's my hope. That's the hope that most of you have. It's an exciting hope. It's not racist. It's not exclusive. God's plan involves everybody. We're told in the scriptures, not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to an understanding of God's plan and purpose. Let's go to Deuteronomy just to look at a couple of prophecies. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 20. <clears throat> Again, this is the chapter dealing with blessings and cursings. Basically, if you obey, his, uh, Moses told the Israelites, if you obey my instructions, you're going to be blessed. However, if you don't, verse 15, it shall come upon you if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe all as carefully his commandments, which I command you. These curses are going to come upon you. Verse 20, the Lord will send on you cursing, a lot of problems, confusion. You look at what's happening in America today. One group, they want this. Another group wants that. They're fighting back and forth. A lot of confusion. Rebuke in all that you set your hand to do. President Trump was elected to make America great again. What happened? What happened? All of a sudden, things seemed to go, go crazy. Now, there were people plotting and scheming even before he came into office. We're going to impeach him. They were saying that before he he took his oath of office. But in the last, what, three, four, five months, it seemed like somebody's pulled the plug out. But let's read the rest of the verse. Rebuke and all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly. Until things come apart quickly because of the wickedness of your doings which you have forsaken me. And that's the message of Jeremiah and Isaiah. Get down to verse uh, 43, part of the curses. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you. So some people from our midst are going to rise higher and higher and you shall come down Or you shall fall. Verse 44, he shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. We're borrowing from a number of other foreign nations. But I want to focus on this alien among you. 
He shall be the head and you shall be the tail. There are people with alien ideas. Look up the word. Alien, a foreign idea, uh, someone that has a very different set of values, which is impacting us today. Our nation was founded on some biblical principles, and yet we've got people today that want to make fun of the Bible. We were found as a quote-unquote Christian nation, and yet we've had a president say we're no longer a nation of Christians. That would have been enough to get him run out of office 100 years ago. He'd never been in the office 200 years ago. But people with a very different set of values have basically uh, got a hold of one or more political parties. They've invaded uh, churches promoting these ideas. One of the groups that has been promoting these ideas has been, I think I've mentioned this before, they're called the Frankfurt School. We encourage you to look it up, read about it just a little bit. These were European intellectuals that came over here. They actually were in Germany. Um, they were socialists. Um, but they came over to the United States, and they basically got positions in major universities, Princeton, Columbia, Brandeis was a Jewish college in, in uh, Boston. And, and they, they wanted to bring this nation down at that time. They wanted to institute socialism. Lenin actually had a meeting with some of his followers when they realized that the Russian Revolution, we got the workers to unite. But it does not look like in America and Europe the workers are going to unite. So they started analyzing, why not? They said, what we need to do is, is get a different group of people to unite. A different group of people. And their focus was on, let's focus on people that feel oppressed. And this could be by race, blacks, people of color. Uh, focus on uh, uh, gays, uh, transgenders, people that feel they've been pushed out of society. Focus on the unemployed. Focus on anybody that's oppressed. We get them upset. We get them to unite. And as one of those leaders at that time, Lenin, I think, actually said, we need some useful idiots. We need some useful idiots that we can use to bring down this country. So don't be, don't be a useful idiot. I don't mean that in a personal way. This was their thinking. And they realized we'll never bring this country down and bring about a socialist revolution unless we get rid of the family, unless we get rid of these fundamental biblical values, unless we turn society upside down, get rid of the role of the man and change the role of the women change the values and promote homosexuality, promote these perversions as normal alternatives. Their idea was to literally undermine the pillars of society. And then as society comes apart, we will step in and we will bring about a new order. If you look up Frankfurt School, look up some of these things, uh, it's very eye-opening. 
is very eye-opening. One of the books I was going through recently, entitled The Dark Agenda, that sounds weird, but it's written by an agnostic Jew, David Horowitz. He was part of the Black Panthers back in the 60s. He was there. He was <laughs> encouraging the riots. But he came out of that, and he's now a conservative writer. The subtitle of the book is The War to Destroy Christian America. This is a Marxist thing. We need to break apart the religion, get rid of those moral values based on the Bible, and then things will fall together. It's an article I came across recently. Progressives take over U.S. education. Universities now requiring this to graduate. It's basically teaching Marxism. A guy by the name of Antonio Gramsci in 1915, he was a communist, a socialist, and he was one of the, the, the thinkers in this Frankfurt School movement. He says, socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity. In the new order, socialism will triumph by first capturing the culture, by infiltrating schools, universities, churches, and the media, and then transforming the consciousness of society. In other words, you undermine the values that built this country, and you get rid of those things. Another uh, method has been to weaponize history. Weaponize history. Make history a weapon, or don't even teach history anymore. By only focusing on the bad things that you could find, but uh, the history books that these young people that are tearing up different parts of the cities uh, came out of some of these textbooks where they've taken anything good that Western civilization has done and totally ignored those things and play up all the bad. You know, Prince Charles made a comment when I was over in England speaking to some historians. He said, if you don't know your history, you don't know who you are. If you don't know your history, you don't know who you are. Most Americans today don't know who we are. And what we're seeing today are the fruits. One of these guys from the Frankfurt School made the comment. He said, if we do our job, if we undermine society, if we undermine the biblical-based values, if we totally pervert everything and we change the language, gay doesn't mean happy. <laughs> it means something totally different. He said, if we change all these things, this country will fall like a ripe cluster of grapes or something. It'll just automatically come down. And this appears to be where we are today. Okay, why is God allowing these things? Well, the Bible tells us. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Because you've turned away from me. Because you have forgotten me. You've rejected my way of life. You've rejected my laws. And as Moses says, there will be consequences. There will be consequences. You know, brethren, it's hard to realize. We've been talking about these things for 50, 60, 70 years. And we're watching these things happening today. And yet there's still some people that want to get focused on a particular issue. A particular issue instead of the big picture. You know, Paul talks about marking those or noting those that cause division. You know, when you get younger people saying that uh, 
The leaders in Charlotte are just a bunch of old men. They need to get out of the way and let others that are younger kind of take over. This is divisive. This is divisive. When people say, well, you know, I don't want to attend down here because you have to wear masks. I want to go someplace where I don't have to wear a mask. Or uh, I want to sing out loud. But I want to go someplace where I can sing out loud because you guys can't. You know, some have said Mr. Weston's going to take the church in the direction of Joda Koch. They don't know Mr. Weston. He's here. Ask him after church. Where are you taking that church? Or Doug Winnell is this liberal academic is going to pull the church off track. Come on. They got fired for saying, no, you can't do that. You don't buy into these things that are single issues that take you away from the big picture. You know, we've got an incredible purpose. One other example I wanted to mention, look it up. In, um, I think it's in Joshua chapter 7. It's talking about Gideon's army. The Midianites were given the Israelites a bad time. So God began to work with a man named Gideon to basically throw off this Midianite yoke. So he shows up, and when you put the numbers together, he had about at least 30,000 men. And God says, you got too many. You got too many. Anybody that's fearful can leave. 22,000 left. They left about 10,000 men. And then he said, you still got too many. And he used a very physical thing. He said, have them get a drink. And those that lay down on their stomach and, you know, kind of lap with their tongue. He says, notice who they are. Then the ones that get down on one knee and they're looking around. (laughs) I'll get a drink this way. He says, take the guys that were on their stomach. From over 30,000 men down to 300. He said, now you got enough. (laughs) Now you got enough. You know, God, again, read through uh, Judges. Read through Joshua. In the case of Joshua, he said, look, you didn't run out certain people I told you to run out. I'm going to leave them there to test you, to test you, to see whether or not you will follow my instructions. God is whittling down the church, and he's not done yet. Christ is not back yet. He's probably going to whittle it a little bit more. Don't become a wood chip on the floor. (laughs) Because if you're whittling, you pile up a bunch of stuff on the floor, but you don't use those. You use what was left that was molded and fashioned by God for a purpose. Your brethren, keep your eyes on the big picture. Prophecy was a big part of the ministry of Mr. Armstrong. Warning the world today is a big part of what we're doing. We're watching the things that we've talked about for the last 50, 60, 70, 90 years coming to pass today. Don't throw that away. We are to be a worldwide work. God is calling people out of all kinds of backgrounds because he wants to use you. You are being molded and fashioned for roles to play in the coming kingdom of God. Roles to play now, 
roles to play in the coming kingdom of God. Stay focused on that big picture. Appreciate the prophetic understanding that God has given us for a reason. Let's be supportive of you know those that God is using. You know, when you look at Moses, he had a guy, you know, fell by the name of Korah that uh, got 250 men, leaders in Israel. So there must have been something that Moses was doing that kind of irritated enough people. But he got 250. Yeah, I don't think Mr. Weston's trying to irritate anybody. I'm not trying to irritate anybody. Mr. Ames is not trying to irritate him. We've got a job to do. And if we can work together to get that job done, Christ is going to come back and say, good, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we need to be focused on, not on single issues that come up. Brethren, we've got an incredible calling that God has given us. We've got an incredible opportunity ahead of us. You know, ben Whitfield's in the grave waiting to come out to join the rest of us. Hopefully we're not going to be in the grave, you know, when Christ returns. We're having an opportunity to learn to work together to support each other, to prepare for the return of Jesus Christ. It's going to be a very exciting time. But let's remember, these prophecies are coming alive today. God has a plan and purpose, but so does Satan. He wants to disrupt that plan, and he doesn't want you to be there. Don't give him the satisfaction of buying into his devices and then missing out on the incredible reward that we have before us.